This is the final boarding call for passengers Peter Pancake and DJ Paradise. DJ Paradise, Peter Pancake. Huh. Ladies and gentlemen, the main cabin door is now closed. We would like to welcome you aboard the one and only Connecting Flight Radio. Yo, 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 what up? Welcome back to Connecting Flight Radio. I haven't had a connecting flight in a very long time. I am DJ Paradise. We got Peter Pancake. Good afternoon, brother. What up, brother? Brotherin'. Um, what up, brother? I am still here in Vegas, and you are? Still in Seattle. Just... This might be. I can't even say. I can't even say hanging or chilling. I'm literally just here. Just, like I'm physically present. Just taking up space right now. I. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This is probably in the last maybe five to, since I've been in college. This is the longest I haven't left Las Vegas or gone on a trip or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's a little little sad, mm-hmm. but. Um, I mean, I went to Portland yesterday. So. Oh that. okay. You want to talk about yeah. that? Not really. But I feel like there's nothing else to talk about. I uh, went to Portland, bought a car um, because you can't buy a car in the state of Washington right now. So I ended up going down to Portland to buy a car. So if you have the income to spend or the not the income, but if you have the expendable capital, uh, it's a really good time to buy a car because dealerships are not in a position of leverage at the moment. So. Dang. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a buyer's market in general. Like, you know, if you're trying to buy a house, property, stocks, whatever. Whatever. I I, yeah. I ain't got it like that. I ain't rich like you, so <laughs> well uh, it's just a good, good opportunity. Con- congrats on the car purchase. Thank you. Thank you. Um I'm excited for this episode. We have a I am too. We have a really dope interview that we just did. But before the interview, let's let's get in let's get into what we're doing, what we've been up to, how we've been uh, staying busy. Yeah, I think a good thing to talk about in this episode before the interview is just what we're doing to improve ourselves, mm-hmm. whether it's like daily or weekly, just something to like progress forward for ourselves, like self improvement, whatever it looks like. Um, I know you and I, I tipped you off about the the Token CEO podcast with Erica Nardini. Yeah, Miss. Nar- um, I'm just listening earlier today. Yeah, I think I think it's a great app, great podcast for everyone to listen to because it's literally ten minutes, so you could literally just like take a shower and have that like on speaker in the bathroom or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, she she consistently goes back to just like what's the work? Why are we doing it? And what are other people not doing that we can be doing right now to put ourselves in a better position once we come out of this? And so even for me, like it's literally become just writing down a task list on Monday of like, here's what I want to knock out. Here are things that I believe are within my realm of control of like being able to do. So for example, like I've started to really dig into Adobe suite and like really get into like illustrator, Photoshop, whatever the case is, and just learn something new every day with it. Uh, outside of that, like crate digging, going, going For in, real, yeah. like finding, I'm trying to spend old like, gyms. yeah, not even that. Like, I'm just trying to spend like an hour a day, just like digging through crates on Serato that I haven't looked at in years mm. and rediscover. And then also just like downsize if I don't need something. Um, what about you, Josh? What are you up to? Well, yeah, that's interesting. So I've actually been also doing that with, uh, with my folder, just like going through my music, but I, I was doing that a lot like earlier in the month, but I've kind of lost a little bit of a 
passion for that because I don't really have so many gigs and stuff like I mean, obviously. So what I have been doing, though, and for years I should have done is work on some production and because um, mm. I've you know, I haven't really produced anything. All I know how to do on Ableton is like edits and stuff like that. So I've actually got into some production on Ableton. And also I started using a Serato Studio. Serato Studio is like very user friendly, very, uh, very intuitive, especially if you're doing like any type of sample beat making. So uh, it's really cool. I'll actually pretty much every day for the last like three weeks I've been doing making beats on there. And um, I'm still don't have anything noteworthy, but I'm 200 times better than I was, you know, three weeks ago. So I think, um, yeah, that production has been really cool, hopefully. And I feel like I've kind of found like a love for it for sure um Ooh, so okay that's dope so you know maybe maybe i'll be a producer soon enough we'll we'll see but uh Par- paradise on the beat oh yeah you know I, yeah i gotta come up with a tag I, i'm not worthy of a tag yet <laughs> we'll we'll wait paradise music you know we gotta, gotta come hey, yo kinda, paradise made that's, this that's, shit that's kind of dope i, I kind of like that paradise music i kind of like that that's kind of dope. <laughs> i have you do oh, my man. drop well we have a long interview today and a dope mix that you actually curated paradise. You're the one that did this mix this time. So I did the Kathy one. You did this Mm -hmm. one just to kind of preface everyone for this one. It's, it's the long interview because we got into a ton of stuff, but I think for anybody who's super interested in music, super interested in just like the world of relationships and the art of doing business, Jason is, is probably one of the best that I've, that I've come across in a long time. Uh, He's able to navigate multiple uh avenues in the music world and he he really digs in with us on like how he does it why he does it what his visions look like things like that so um am i missing anything uh no i would just just preface it because we we went into a lot of we did like a lot a lot of new things in this interview and um i think that is really dope um but he's also a first that we've had he's our first um musician that we've had that's a jazz musician so he's like a you know he's a jazz band leader uh in southern california obviously we'll get into all of that in the interview but um i think that's really dope because i've been a jazz fan uh pretty much since i was you know in high school i've loved maybe even before that i've loved jazz music so i think that's really cool and that's why i volunteered to curate the mix so when you get into the mix it's really cool because uh i've never done like a all jazz mix and his his music is more than just standard jazz he you know he implements um you know elements of electronic music and funk and stuff like that so that's really cool it's really cool the mix is dope so uh, i think you guys will like it just stay open-minded if you like jazz music at all i think you'll Mm -hmm. you'll feel the mix and the interview is really great all right well let's get into it we will see you guys uh in the next episode it'll be paradise in my uh mix episode specifically but then we have the interview and a mix curated by paradise coming up next All right, it is now the interview section of this podcast. I am incredibly excited for this one. We know that we're in the dog days of quarantine, and I wanted to bring on someone super special uh, who is also feeling the effects of quarantine in a very direct sense. And um, Jason Fabus. What up, Jason? AKA the Jason Fabus. Let's just first acknowledge where everyone is in the world right now. So I'm in Seattle still, uh, hotel day number 49 for me. Uh, Josh, where are you? I am still in Las Vegas in my 
high rise condo slash in my little house, uh, just chilling. And Jason, Mr. Jason, where you at? And I am sitting. Uh, I'm sitting in my big, beautiful house rented by five musicians <laughs> in uh, Southern California, just Boom. outside of Los Angeles. There we go. Uh, Jason, yep. welcome to the podcast. For thank you for having for me. For everyone who is unfamiliar with the name Jason Favis, first of all, shame on you. But get, second of get all, familiar. Uh, Jason, if you could give like a 30 second rundown of who you are before we jump into this, I just want to make sure that everyone kind of gets a, a general picture before we dive in. Sure. Uh, I grew up in outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's where I met uh, a certain young drummer who was going to become hey. Peter Pancake. <laughs> uh, so we go way back. That's what's it's good to see you again, man. Um, so I'm living in Los Angeles right now and I'm a professional saxophone player. So that can mean a variety of things in today's world, but uh, most of it is freelance work, like gigging, uh, being a band leader, and also uh, writing and producing music uh, for the city, for the city of Los Angeles and the rest of the yeah, world. Man. Well, we are excited to have you. Uh, we're, we're really excited because this is the first time we get to talk to a uh, quote-unquote authentic musician. Yeah. Uh, compared to what we do, which is press play and just let the music go for <laughs> two and a half minutes before we see you're you're being bashful though when play, you say that like <laughs> I you know what it is I'm an instrumentalist and in many ways you could consider what you do an instrument as well and you can practice it and get better at it well, so I you 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 are well, definitely you're the educated PD. one, so we will agree agree yeah. with it. <laughs> I just we put notes on the it. staff. Um, yeah. <laughs> for our listeners, we have a new segment going on from this day forward with anyone we interview. Uh, it's called the True Colors Assessment, and uh, basically, it's something that's yes. used uh, in team building exercises, whether it's with work or with um, people that you are building something with, project wise, creativity wise. Um, Oftentimes, we run into challenges where it's difficult to navigate how someone works effectively. And this uh, assessment kind of takes into consideration how someone aligns with descriptive words, and then it characterizes them into one of four categories as their strongest um, affiliation for a work kind of personality trait. Uh, the four colors are gold, orange, blue, and green. Each one has a very specific set of uh, line items of like what this person typically is good at, what they are challenged at. Um, and it's just a cool way to not box someone in, but be able to identify what someone's strengths are and how we can accommodate that person uh, with the work that needs to get done. So Jason, Congratulations, you are our inaugural participant for the True Color Connecting Flight Radio True Colors Assessment. <laughs> True um, Colors. Man, I don't know if I'm very happy about that. I don't know if I'm uh, excited about that. Yeah, uh, True Colors jingle forthcoming. Right. We don't have one yet, but uh, we hope that we'll have one soon. Uh, you took this test. I got you, dude. If you could just kind of explain what the process looked like for you for that like five minutes that you took this assessment. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually really simple. It's it's uh, five different groups, and in each group you'll see uh, three words. And you just basically, mm -hmm. what I did notice is you'll you'll see three words in a group that'll kind of jump out at you first. It's very, it was very easy for me to find 
my the one that I most vibed with that I would give the four. Um, and then relatively easy after that, you rank the other ones, the other groups down. So um, would you like to hear my results? Yep. Jason Favis, what were your results? Okay. Out of a possible four groups, one, two, three, and four, I vibed most with group three. Hey. Group three. You are blue, sir. That is the same oh. group that I was in as well. Oh, we're, we're, I uh, knew we're it. blue buddies. Nice. Josh, can you can you go through some of the the key words that a blue person um, would typically uh, affiliate themselves I with? I just had it up on my computer. Oh, here it is, right here. Um, so blue people, I am blue. Um, they are optimistic. <laughs> I was about to do <laughs> that. <laughs> See, because we are, we vibe, we in the same dude. We are <laughs> same wavelength. Um, all right, so we are optimistic caretakers, uh, mediators, passionate, cause oriented. Um, strong sense of spirituality. We need to feel special. Um, we motivate and encourage others. Peaceful. That is nice. the blue blue characteristics. And Jason, I'm sure you can directly say, yeah, those were like these words are incredibly accurate. And then there was probably somewhere you were like, well, I'm not exactly that, but like I could see it being a thing. Yeah, but it's it's surprisingly accurate and like. The thing is, you're. I think when you when you do the test and you start to read your results, you're not like overly excited about any of it because you you already know what your faults are. Hopefully, uh, so you're able to reflect on it and be like, "Yep, yep, yep." Some of them you're proud of, and some of them you're like, "Well, that's something that I'm working on," <laughs> or like, "I'm working on maybe expressing yeah, to other people." I'd say it's also a very blue thing to um, reflect on yourself and understand what your faults are. Um, for those of you listening that took it, um, fun fact, I scored highest for green, uh, in which case I have, I have no faults. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a key identifier for greens is that they are, they're always right. (laughs) But a lot of it, a lot, a lot of it too is, uh, intellectual for a green theoretical and idea person, uh, complex, uh, a perfectionist. Of course. Um, oftentimes like always curious, always wanting to know more. Um, abstract, conceptual kind of personalities. And um, for some kind of vulnerable moments, I think perceptions of greens could be like, we could be seen as arrogant or uh, snobbish at times with what we know. Uh, We are critical and we oftentimes find fault in what others are doing if they're wrong. And we are not, we are comfortable calling that out for them and letting them know why they're wrong. Um, but I think it's, I think it's more now a, an idea that we identify with it and it's cool because we're able to do it safely where there are, uh, kind of like constructed, uh, areas of acknowledging what realities can be. And then we can push forward by being like, oh, this person typically shows behaviors of a blue. Perhaps it's on me then to find a different way to present a task or an action step or a project so that they can buy into it. A lot of the times I think um, even from what we read in this entire uh, session, it was like blues need the reason why to affect a higher cause or they need it to be a more communal based uh, project. Blues, blues need emotion that we need like the emotion behind it that will get us to do a task. 
they they seem they seem in many ways very uh, I want to say similar in like the result of the the person that you see and know. It's just that I think blues are a little bit more on the spontaneous in the moment, like trusting that the exciting fuck yeah moments in your life are going to happen in that moment and you don't know when yep. where the greens are maybe like wanting that fuck yeah moment but it's that moment that they've been planning on and yeah. it happens when they expect it's like it's it's cool yeah yeah but we're both like hard working i know all three of us like hard working and passionate i think is a a great word like we love what we're doing regardless of what the paycheck mm-hmm. is um, yeah. it's just the way that we reach that level of like i made it or i've you know success it happens in different like time frames mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you you spoke on spontaneity. That's a high orange uh, characteristic. So people who identify as orange are like very in the moment. They allow is that group things one? to. Yeah, yeah. Orange is group one. Um, orange is very much like they're just gonna do it, and they're gonna figure out like how to do it when they're doing. It. So they they build the plane as it's flying, basically. Kind of like that too. And um, oftentimes it's like it's like they'll they'll do something it might not be the most efficient way to do it but they'll do it just to make sure that it's done whereas like green and gold people uh tend to like take their time to plan it's like josh you had Mm -hmm. mentioned a really good phrase it was like measure it a hundred times to cut once that's like a very that's a very like green and gold way to look at it very uh blue and orange is like cut it a hundred times, but like measure it once, like measure it one time and just like see if it'll work. There's a, yeah, there, um, it, that goes back to like a, there's an old story, I think, um, about like the artist who's working in on pottery, right? Like he's mm-hmm. trying to make the perfect, the perfect pot uh, on the, uh, the, on spinning the spinning wheel of clay. Yeah. And it's like, the question is, there's not really a right answer. It's like, is the guy yeah. that does a hundred of them or a thousand of them, uh, every single day he does one for a thousand days and then reaches the perfect one or there's the guy that studies it for a thousand days and then his first one is that perfect one yep. which one is the better one or which is the better route and it's like i think you're going to always have people answer that question differently it's yep. that's a pretty cool concept yep i think the other side of it too is like knowing that there are like going to be multiple ways to get to the same product yeah. if you're amongst it if you're amongst a team and even if we look at it from a from a art and music standpoint like josh i know you've talked about multiple scenarios where like managers operate their venue differently mm-hmm. and you need to understand the nuances of how a manager runs their their bar or their club or yeah. their lounge and like it's not going to be the same at every single spot so you need to like mm-hmm. adapt and navigate those relationships um jason i'm sure you can attest to that as well oh, and this, yeah. this i think is something where the more you refer back to something very like and this is a very like it's a complex assessment system. Like there's a lot of implications that go super deep for these things, but it also was a five minute assessment. Mm -hmm. So it's something where I think you can take the base layer of it and like apply it to your work styles every day by being like, Oh, this person is like doing this, that, and the other thing showing these signs. What does that look like in the, in the four colors? Oh, it might be like, they're a super like gold person. Right. Okay. What are, like what are strengths to gold? How can I apply? It? And then you can just try it and see if it works, right? And and this list is a it's a positive list. That's the thing is we're not uh-huh. judging the person or throwing them into a group. We're just mm-hmm. making those initial like observations, and then you yeah. find the most positive way to communicate with them like right away. I think that's cool. Like I'm definitely gonna 
I'm looking at the list now and kind of mentally studying it. And <laughs> it, when you when you said like venues, that immediately made, like I've spent so many years in L.A. Uh, you know, you're just trying to play jazz, and where do you yeah. where do most people hear jazz music on like a Wednesday night inside of a restaurant? Probably you know? at uh, Avenue Hollywood. <laughs> I've just I've I, I've I've worked. There. We've played at so many uh, restaurants, really lovely restaurants owned by yeah. awesome people. But like, you immediately are just meeting a ton of different people, mm-hmm. and and the the overall goal is like you may not get everybody right away, or they may not like vibe with your personality right away. But you you try to be open minded and accept this person right away in that moment mm-hmm. that you meet that venue owner. And there's a very <laughs> it's a very blue way to do it. but no i'm blue (laughs) no no, just to wrap this section up though so all the all everyone who's a listener of this podcast we want you to go take the true colors assessment we're gonna put the link inside the description somewhere go take that and then so next time you'll know and then you could use all of this when hashtag blue life yeah, hashtag team blue. Got to see all those hashtag team blues. Dabu-dee, dabu-dee. I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> man, oh, man. Well, thank you for being our first uh, our first participant in the True Colors assessment. Again, yeah, as Josh said, we, we will link this into the, um, into the episode. Uh, Creighton Do University, y'all have a please jingle don't yet for get that? mad at us. No, we don't. We need one. Nah, you're going to make it. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah, I got you. If you... Jazz jingle. As... As a blue, if you care about the success of us as people with this <laughs> podcast, you will do whatever it takes to create yep. a consumer-facing jingle. Team Blue, <laughs> that's those are the jingle writers. <laughs> all right, um, all right. I'll see what I can throw at you. I want to dig into a little bit, uh, Jason, if we can pivot into your journey right now and how you got to where you are, because it's it's at at. At one, on one side, it's fascinating the the route you took, the avenues you've gone down, and in other ways, it's very predictable. It was a very predictable journey for you to get where you are. Um, so, for those for those who don't know, um, you went to school uh, post high school for music, uh, and then you continued onward into like post undergrad, like graduate school, doing music as well. Um, I think oftentimes. The connotation is going to school for music, doing a scholastic route puts you kind of in a pigeonholed scenario where you either just become a music teacher or you just go after your PhD so you can like hide away from the real world for as long as possible. Um, What I observed is even while you were doing your undergrad program and then jumping into Cal State Long Beach, a lot of it was trying to navigate the freelance world with education being more or less like the 50 50 split of the hustle. Um, you don't see that all that often because people dig so heavily into the scholastic side of like academia and writing the best thesis possible, spending countless hours in a library. And what I, what I observed over the past decade with you is, you were gigging, you were out, you were performing, you were shaking hands. And while academics are important, and I'm I'm 100% confident that you focused in, I think your ability to navigate both worlds simultaneously presented countless opportunities that not that the average musician wouldn't get. Can you can you dig into kind of like what that felt like in the moments, your challenges that you ran into it that like, especially mistakes that you made that were like, 
completely unavoidable, but also like pretty impactful for you. Yeah, dude. Um, just like just hearing you go through that whole synopsis, like made me almost look back on what I've been doing. Um, and yeah, I'm, kind I'm of a green, I'm a green. I do my, I do my research. Bro, bro. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm going to give the, uh, the more entertaining story, hopefully, because mm-hmm. as a saxophone player, I could be talking to other saxophone players and nobody wants to hear that shit. So, uh, we'll, we'll keep it a little more global. <laughs> uh, after uh, high school, as you said, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I went to the University of Minnesota, which is up in Minneapolis. And you made a really good point. You're talking about mistakes that I've made. Uh, I've, for many years in my life, I've always thought one of the biggest mistakes I made was picking colleges. As a music student, it's like I felt so uh, I didn't I didn't really have a lot of musician or parents that weren't really musicians. I didn't have the people in high school to tell me where to go or what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just trying to find a school that was far enough away from home that you know I could take a weekend trip back home if I needed to, but I was out of the house. Mm-hmm. And so like that's why Minneapolis seemed like a cool city. Chicago seemed like a cool city. Um, and I ended up going up there and immediately regretted my decision. And the reason then was because I was a young sax player that wanted to do, uh, I was listening to like everything from jazz to uh, Motown to hip hop, like just this whole, the whole history of, of black American improvised music. Like the R- that's the what R-H I was actor. into. What was that? Hell yeah, dude. 2009? Dude, don't even get me, don't sidetrack me with Roy. Come on. Okay. So I go to this school that's the complete opposite. The University of Minnesota is a conservatory and if you study saxophone there, you're actually studying with one of the greatest saxophone schools in classical saxophone. Not jazz, oh, okay. not improvised music, but the classical study of your instrument. And as a 17-year-old who's listening to RH Factor, and then getting to move to a city like Minneapolis, which is also a super hip city, full of amazing music and really great jazz scene. But I didn't know any of that. So I, I walk into the school and just kind of got blindsided by a program and a, a method of classical saxophone that just kind of, I'll be honest, it, the first couple of years, it kicked my ass. I sucked. I was, I was one of the lowest students, I think, uh, in the, in the school because I didn't subscribe to their methods and I didn't want to be that. And mm-hmm. I look at that as a mistake when I'm 17 or 18 or 19. And now when I look back on it, it, it couldn't be more, I couldn't have been more wrong. That was like, one of the most beautiful moments in my life because I'm going to a classical program where we're, I'm getting my ass kicked at something that I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. While at the same time, I'm able to start looking at the scene that I'm in, which is Minneapolis, which is, a, like I said, a killing city. So while I'm studying classical in school, I'm going out to jazz clubs at night, uh, you know, probably underage and going to some spots that I shouldn't have gone to. <laughs> But sneaking in and, and jamming and like getting into the hip hop scene in Minneapolis and just absorbing it all at the same time. So when I look at it now, it's it's that same idea of like, what should we be teaching in college? Should we be giving kids everything in college or should we be giving them that structured classical education while at the same time encouraging them to get out of school and look at the scene that's going on? You know, it's a, it's an interesting uh like bipolar, uh, bipolar. I can't bipolarity. say bipolarity. Yeah, it's a bipolar thing. 
Mm. Yeah, I think I think a big indicator, um, and Josh, this is probably like a completely different language for you right now of like the vocabulary of like academic music world and stuff. Yeah, but it's I just, uh, I just know beats and BPMs. That's it. <laughs> it's um, oftentimes I think the perception of going to school for music is it's a very incestual cycle where the point of music school is to push students to stay in academia because it keeps the money in academia because students will take out more loans to keep going on in music, uh, whether it's for a master's or for a PhD. And then at, once you get the PhD, you'll just end up becoming an associate professor somewhere. And it just continues this cycle. Um, and I think, I think that exists like, if you, if you focus only on the education, mm -hmm. if the education yeah. is the outcome, if, if going and studying music and reading books about it is going to get me a job reading books about music and studying music, then, mm -hmm. then, you know, that's the way that you looked at it. But like I was telling you, I was always in that bipolarity of yeah. here's the school and the education and the structure. And then here's the, the lack of structure in yeah. the, the fucking scene. Right. Like, but did, was it, was it anybody from a leadership level at the university that like encouraged that? Or was that a self, Motivated. You know what? I was right. lucky. I had a I had a mentor that was great. His name is uh, Doctor Eugene Rousseau, and he's yeah. uh, he studied in France with a guy named Marcel Mule. So Marcel Mule is widely regarded as the probably the greatest classical saxophone player of all time. He mm -hmm. he was just a, a genius in France. So I I was lucky enough that I got to study with a teacher that had all that facility, was really good mm -hmm. at teaching it, but at the same point was like almost encouraging me to break the rules a little bit <laughs> as I yeah. went along, you know, like to be the bad boy. Cause it was me and my, my good buddy, Nelson. Do you remember Nelson? Nelson Devereaux. Yes. He was tall. <laughs> and another great jazz saxophonist. So it was yeah. me and him that were kind of like the, the two jazz students in a classical yeah. program. And I think, it, yeah, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. I think for our, our our listeners that are primarily in the DJ world, an easy a very easy translation for this is the difference between a, a bedroom DJ and a club DJ. Right. Oftentimes, the bedroom DJ can be technically better and more skillful at anything in the craft, but then there's a whole another side of it of like the relationship cultivation, the ability to navigate different worlds of industry and yes. um, get out there and associate yourselves with the right people and i think that whole interpersonal communication thing is something where no matter what industry you're in like it's gonna matter like you can be the oh, greatest yeah, economics brain in the world but if you can't communicate economics to the person next to you what's the point like, i've done so i've what? done so many gigs where either there's a dj on the gig maybe like a corporate gig or a wedding and then plenty of uh club dates where i'm getting to collaborate with a dj live Mm -hmm. Every time I've met a professional DJ in Los Angeles, they're like, not only are they great at their craft, but they're really good at uh, sharing mm -hmm. what they're passionate about with you. They're very like ready to talk to you. They'll come up to me and, and want to talk to me before I yeah. even. <laughs> uh, I actually had a, I, oh, my bad. I, just, I actually had a question about school before we uh, get off that topic, because you were saying yeah. that you went to uh, this school. Like, did, what was your plan going into school? Did you want to become a gigging musician did you want to be a jazz player did you want to stay in academia? i didn't have a plan i honestly okay. didn't have a plan i just i knew that i i liked music it was something that i was really getting into at the end of high school as like starting to play in bands and do you know battle of the bands and garage concerts and shit like that uh -huh. and then 
And then realizing that like, oh wait, you can actually go study this at a college and my parents supported me. But I had no like big plans. And I can still tell you right now, like I, in many ways, I still feel the same way. I, I don't like to think huge plans. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, so then that was when you went to undergrad and then you went to graduate school also yeah. after that. So right? uh, f- I, I did about five years of school in Minnesota because I was also doing an education degree in music. Okay. So it took a little longer. Um, I was busy teaching <laughs> middle schoolers and elementary schoolers for about six months. That was that was fun. <laughs> Dang, uh, so <laughs> after that tenure in Minneapolis, I... I did know that I wanted to uh, just find something new to do. I was adventurous at that time and applied to a few different grad schools. The reason I thought grad school was a good idea was because a music degree in grad school is two years. And Mm -hmm. if you're trying to plan a move to a big city, leaving all your connections behind, I really loved the idea of like, okay, well, here's a two-year, you know, project. Let's let's dive in and see what happens after two years. And I always was vibing with Los Angeles and Southern California as a whole. Um, and so I applied to a few different schools. And the one that uh, was treated me the nicest was uh, uh, California State University, Long Beach. And dude, Long Beach represent. Seriously. Was, shout out, so shout out to Long Beach. I was actually born in Long dude. Beach. And no kidding. Yeah, I was born so you know you know Cal State then. Yeah, I, so I know Cal State Long Beach, and I'm a huge jazz fan. So I've actually been a member of a uh, 88.1 K Jazz. Oh, dude, like the members, yeah, the radio station. It's like they the they have been super nice to us. To. Yeah, yeah K Jazz has been really thoughtful to their uh, uh, the like my small group, my trio, and then the vocalists that we have. We're all alumni of cal state long beach so they've been very nice by like supporting our album and spinning it live on the air for like the last three years it's unbelievable yeah i literally every time i go back to la to visit my family i always turn on 88.1 like bro keep your ears open next time you (laughs) you might hear it (laughs) i'll be be listening out for you that's what's up cool yeah so it was minneapolis to southern california and i really just i felt like i haven't taken my foot off the gas pedal since then it, until right now, seriously, until this whole situation now, it's been a moment of like, whoa, okay, let's like examine what got me here and yeah. and what I'm going to do next. Like we, this is a whole new challenge and I'm in many ways, I'm fearful of it, but I'm also excited because it's a different, it's a different hill to climb. Yeah. Paradise and I had our 2020 motto was all gas, no brakes. And then yeah. March March first, it went and then the all breaks. Then the engine blew out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we. Ran hey, man, out of gas. that's a test. That's a fucking test right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was having a great year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we were in a good trajectory for sure. We mm-hmm. a great trajectory. It was. Um, I think it was to the point where like there was a part of us, and it's really easy to be like a Monday morning quarterback on it. It's like what could go wrong this year, right? There were so many good things happening and there were so many good things happening because of what happened last year that we were building mm-hmm. upon. And now it's like ground zero again. Like as much as you have relationships, it's like we have to rebuild this ship all over again because no gig is guaranteed a- anymore. Like, yeah, that I mean... guaranteed at this point. You could, you could be best friends with the GM, but if they're given new 
directions on how they hire, who they hire, when they hire. It doesn't matter how good a relationship is. Like if yeah, and I'll be honest, I don't, what's been on my mind the longest to hear is uh, during this this uh, pandemic and quarantine. I feel like there's been two two big ideas that have been pressed on every American. The first one is uh, personal hygiene, as far mm-hmm. as just your daily health habits. We've pressed that on everybody to wash your hands more, to you know cough in a safer way, to avoid. Uh, uh, you know, wear face masks, all that type of stuff. I'm okay with that. And I'm glad that we've brought that to the light that people and probably more businesses need to help uh, the public with personal sanitation. Sure. That's cool. The other thing though, that's been pushed on everybody. Uh, this is what worries me. We've been pressing on everybody to practice social distancing during this because we were behind uh, the curve, right? Like we just got blindsided by this virus. Um, but the amount of time we've spent pressing everybody to be socially distant worries me because are we ever going to get to a point where people are, uh, you know, encouraged to be social again? Because that's like, dudes, that's what our life is about. Mm. We live I, and yeah. we work in that social aspect. We're trying to bring people up. And right now we know that like when people start opening businesses again, it's going to be harping about social distancing and keeping mm-hmm. crowds down. And I get that. I understand the science behind it, but the mentality behind it concerns me. I want people to know that one day we can be more social than we've ever been. Mm-hmm. Like go to large gatherings, <laughs> hug people, well, shake it, hands. I. <laughs> it's like interesting though. Oh, wait. sorry. Well, you had, quick, a, you had a really good question. Yeah. Yeah, well, I did. I did have a question, but I was just gonna say about um, that. I feel like there's two schools of thought too, because some people like say like, "Oh, as soon as people say it's safe, then everyone's gonna go crazy. Everyone's gonna come to Vegas and party. Everyone's just gonna want to be out. Never, no one's gonna want to be home." Right. And then yeah. other people are like, um, "Like, oh no, people are gonna be super conservative and scared, and like it's yeah. gonna ruin everything for everyone." I think it's probably gonna be a bit of both. You know what I mean? But, right. It'll figure um, itself out. Yeah, yeah, but so actually the question that I had uh, related to this whole COVID thing is, do you think so? Because here in Vegas, it's, you know, it's, um, you know, uh, maybe they're saying that it's going to be up to a year before, you know, they just canceled Life is Beautiful Festival. Uh, I, don't, I think EDC's canceled. Everything, all the big festivals are canceled. Uh, the clubs probably won't open for a long time. Do you think that small venues, and when I say small venues with like live bands, will maybe make a bigger comeback due to all this going on? Like, because maybe a smaller venue, like a jazz venue that has like, you know, chairs and everyone's kind of spaced apart, might do better than a nightclub where everyone's, you know, or a bar where everyone's like shoulder to shoulder. What do you think? I, I think, I mean, dude, I've been thinking that same thing. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about all of this and, uh, I, I think it's all about how the venues want to treat this and they, they should be using some good foresight right now about how they want to brand their business because you make a good point, like a smaller club, a smaller listening venue, maybe a room that's 200 or less people, let's say, Mm. uh, has a really amazing opportunity right now to like make a comeback and be, to be that safe place where people can be social again and not feel like they're being uh, out of line or, or unsanitary. And you're right. Like that's, that's where live musicians, that's where a lot of live bands live. And it's, and now you're making me think like you guys play in a lot of larger venues than that. 
where the DJ communities might be hit for a longer time than these small groups, how could we maybe even get them involved in these spots? Like there's been plenty of shows I've been to in Los Angeles where you got a five-piece jazz band, but then in the corner of the stage, you got a DJ that's spinning live with them. And I'm like, I'm always a fan of seeing that type of collaboration live. And this could actually be a really cool time to, to I guess, delve into that. And not just like, okay, so if the venues are going to be really creative about rebranding how important they are, then the bands should also be rebranding and not just coming up and showing up and playing like we usually do, but maybe throwing in some new shit that people haven't seen before, mm-hmm. whether that be getting a DJ on stage or a live dance act or, you know, all types of things. It like, could also be a moment for instrumenting musicians to just like have a vendetta and not allow DJs anywhere near these places <laughs> as a way to get back to them for, uh, I got nothing against DJs, bro. I got nothing against it. It's, it's, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's an amazing economy out here. And mm-hmm. before any of this happened, musicians of all shapes and sizes and abilities were all working. Yep. And that's one thing. Like I remember I, I, I heard a, uh, a bass player I knew, a, a jazz bassist, um, heard that another jazz bassist was moving out to town from Chicago. I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> but the bassist said, oh, great, there goes all my gigs. And that was their view of looking like, okay, this new person's coming to town. They're going to affect my economy. And I just, I've never thought of it that way. I, anything that's dope, has value, is going to uh, heighten the economy. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm not threatened by DJs. I'm I celebrate the DJs that are good and are creative, and because right, it raises everyone. What do they say? Uh, uh, it raises everyone up. Like if yeah. if there's another good person that's like bringing the whole economy up. Of like, yeah, now now this is the level we all need to be at, and that makes our job better. is to our job is to make more people in the world appreciate more styles of music. That's like it's it's as easy as that. We're lifting their, we're lifting them up. We're getting them not only excited about music, but excited about discovering new music and not just being told what to listen to on the radio. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's doing that, I'm, I fuck with you. I'm with that. On that same vein, I want to uh, ask one more question before we pivot to the traveling section of this interview. Sure. Um, you just spoke about discovering music, listening, being influenced. Who right now? are you just absolutely listening to where you can't get enough of this person or this group? <laughs> I was worried you would ask that. Yeah, and where it's like people are sleeping on this and they shouldn't be sleeping. Um, <sighs> okay. What do you have for us? Man, uh, so the minute Professor, you started talking, Professor I pulled up Fabus. my Spotify. <laughs> like I got to pull up my what, I, what have I listened to recently. While you're pulling that up, I just uh, heard this new album. It's called Now. By this dude, uh, Jason Fabus or something like that. That album is dope. Congratulations on your new album, for real. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Hey, for yeah. everyone listening, we can see his Spotify right now. It shows Miley Cyrus and Selena Gomez as the top two artists that he listens to right now. No. Um, he's, <laughs> he just closed Spotify. He just shut his computer down, everyone. So... Jason, what do you got Damn for us? Who, who's someone that we should be listening to that we aren't? I mean, mostly Miley Cyrus and uh, Taylor <laughs> Swift. Uh, Jay Beebs. Well, I, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by just a preface here. As a jazz musician, I constantly live in music that's like 1960 and earlier. 
And okay. I would love to go into that shit. I love all that music, but I'm going to try to keep it in the present with like. Nah, nah, current... nah, man. Do, do all of it. All of it. Ugh, okay. I don't, I don't want to get too long here. I'm, I'm going to go with stuff that's like more recent that people all can right. check out. Like, peop, like current musicians. Um, big fan of uh, Brian Mish. You guys know him? I'm sorry, Tom Mish. I was going to say, Mish. I was like, I know Tom Mish. I play him all the time. He's been in my should, mix several times. We should edit that out. I said this man, yeah. that's bad. I'm going to restate that. All right, go ahead. Uh, I've been checking out a lot of uh, Tom Mish. Uh, his last couple albums were really great. Yeah, uh, Tom Mish is dope. And, the, and then I come to find out that he's, you know, like a jazz guitar player, studied yeah. in school, and then he's, you know, now experimenting with a lot more beats and other producers. Uh in that same vein, another great guitar player is uh, Bruno Major. Uh, oh big fan of him. Gotta add him to the list. Oh, man. It's hard. Like, I live in this world where I'll, I'll surf Spotify and get new stuff, and then I forget what a lot of it is. Uh, for everyone who's still kicking on the 60s stuff, forgotten artist that I've recently rediscovered, the Tremolos. Yes. Do you remember oh, the Tremolos? Oh, dude. Hell Here yeah. comes my baby. That song is back. Oh and yeah, I, you gave me that song in your. Uh, so yeah, you gave me that song the other day. Yeah. Uh, fun fact for you, Jason. I I've been working on my like dinner party happy hour crate for DJing over the past like, six years now, and it's like it's robust enough where I feel like I can. I feel like I have the confidence to play a variety of types of dinner parties. But then yeah. Josh has so many dope opportunities to like get this music out there, and so. I was like so happy when I shared my crate with him because now he just like has this ridiculous arsenal of music to play yeah. at gigs I'm, that I would never have a chance of playing sharing is I'm caring. not good enough. I'm, I'm ready for my next STK gig whenever that comes up. I'm about to kill Shout out, shout out STK. Thank, thanks to Peter Pancake. <laughs> oh, dude. And if we, and we mentioned earlier in the, the podcast, RH Factor, that's of course talking about Mr. Roy Hargrove. I mean, mm -hmm. that's like, if you want to know why I... I sound and play the way that I do on the saxophone. It's because I'm trying to play like a trumpet player named Roy. I was gonna say he was so, trumpet, yeah. Yeah, or that man was amazing, and he, yeah. he oh, like no, he one of his. Away, right? He just passed away last year. He was 49. It was oh, super man. tragic because oh. this is the dude that played. He was a uh, like a popular jazz trumpet player, but then he started fucking around with uh, D'Angelo and did that album Voodoo in like uh -huh. 2000. And Voodoo is like such a classic album because you got Questlove on the drums, Pino Palladino on the bass, who now plays with like John Mayer, mm -hmm. uh, Roy Hargrove on the horns. It's just like all these amazing musicians came together and made this dope album, Voodoo. And then I got I I got some new artists. Can I can I give you a few new ones? <laughs> Run it down. Get your pen and paper out, everyone. I know I gotta be I gotta I gotta say I gotta shout some people out. Um, some great production by uh, Detroit Swindle. If you guys know them, they make like just really good music. Uh, moon Boots, it's another one. I know, yeah, I know Moon Boots. I really like the new album by, or I guess it's, yeah, it's a pretty new album. It's called Nick and Astro's Guide to the Galaxy, and that's by Potato Head People. That's a dope album. Um, and then I got to represent uh, out in LA a great singer and songwriter, Lewis Cole. He's Lewis killing Cole. the game right now out here. I feel like I've heard of him, but I'm not sure. There you have it. That's my short list. All right, all right. We got some, we got some homework to Dang. do. Dang. All right. We are <laughs> going to shift into our travel section of this podcast. Now, as a gigging musician, Jason, it's not uncommon for people to travel to perform. Um, 
give us your best experience when you were hired to perform somewhere outside of where you lived and give us your worst experience when you were playing somewhere outside of your like living oh, area. Oh gosh. You just going to throw that at me? Yes. Okay. Well, first I'm going to preface that again. Oh, uh, the thing about living in Los Angeles is we all love playing in Los Angeles. So I know a lot of us travel and there's a lot of touring artists that live out here and then go on tour. Um, but I'm not necessarily one of the, uh, those musicians. So I love my city <laughs> and there's a lot to see out here. It, it feels like I'm on tour every day if I'm playing in LA, seriously. But, uh, getting outside of my, my neck of the woods, um, very recently, we had a really great um, week-long uh, cruise that went to uh, Bermuda. And it was for a, I believe it was a Disney cruise line, but it was rented by Turner Classic Movies. You guys know that's oh, TCM? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. They, they're all about playing classic films yeah, from like the yeah. 20s and 30s and 40s. So this was a very like classic 30s 40s art deco themed cruise and they wanted to hire uh, a jazz band for it mm-hmm. and there's a really great uh we call it trad jazz it means traditional jazz so we're talking 1930s and 40s jazz style and there's a band i play in out here called the holly street stompers and we got booked for this cruise to bermuda and that was that was definitely like the height of being treated like artists and you know getting a really nice room on the boat and getting your own room and not playing a ton but getting like the right amount of sets to entertain every evening but then getting the daytime off to to chill and getting to go on this you know island that I've never been to and hop on a a Vespa and cruise around I had a blast <laughs> I dude I those those like 7 days lasted like freaking months man it seemed like that in my head <laughs> That's amazing that was, was a amazing. dope cruise. That was fun. What is um, what is uh oh sorry, go ahead, Josh. No, no, no. I was uh actually I forgot what I was gonna say. Go ahead, go ahead. Do you have any memories of something where it was just a tragic experience? You can say no. You can you can say they've been fine. It's it's totally good. I I'm, people you typically know what, have dude, like I'm sure good that memories I have. of bad ones. And maybe maybe that's just another one of my like things on the list. Maybe it's a blue person thing. Yeah. Team blue. Hashtag. <laughs> Optimistic I, always. I, I, I have to say, yeah, I, re- I keep the good memories and mm. I keep the uh, productive or constructive memories in my mind. But the bad ones, I'm really good at just letting go of them. So it's it's mm. hard for me right now when you when you ask that to me, it's hard for me to think of one. Um, but certainly if I had to describe what type of gig it would be... Um, it would be any gig that I either traveled to where we just felt uh, like disrespected, you know, there's Mm -hmm. many, there's many times where as a musician, you feel like you're maybe as a DJ too, where you feel like you're being hired, but um, not respected as an artist or as a, a creative. And uh, that disrespect is, it's just really, it's disheartening. It's, it's hard to, to deal with that. Um, and it's hard to make music after you've been treated like that. So, yeah. It, yeah. especially when you're in like a place you've never been before or something like that. And then like, you know, I've as a DJ, I've had that where like the manager don't walk up to you. You just walk in the booth. The other DJ don't say nothing to you and you just get on and it's like, oh, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like uh, that doesn't happen that often. Most of the time, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, what's up? You know, they want to make sure you're good and everything. But right. I've had it happen maybe twice where it's just like. 
You know what I mean? And then you leave, like you don't even know who to say bye to. Like it's. Oh, dude, and I have to say, I've had some killer, killer times in Vegas, dude. Anytime I get a call for Vegas, my my freaking ears perk up, and I'm I'm excited to go there. I love Vegas. I've had great time in Vegas. Now you got a friend out there. Now you got direct contact. You already know, dude. You already know. (laughs) Dude, I was gonna say because there's there's not so so many jazz events like public jazz events here in Vegas. I know there's like a couple festivals, but I we did a great event at the Bellagio on the. Around Christmas, we played an event for the, like the, I don't even know what they're called, but the the club members of the Bellagio Casino. Oh, the the yeah the the card members. The VIPs, the I think. Yeah, yeah, the big the yeah. whales. They, they had them. a huge party. They had a huge party, and we we got hired to play for it. And they they put us up at the Bellagio. It was a fabulous gig. Um, see, like like I said, I don't get invited to that, so uh, I don't get to oh, see bro. all this cool. <laughs> Dude, that's dope though. That's super sick. <laughs> Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll carry your uh, your case or whatever you need me to do to, to get into that <laughs> <one> next time. <laughs> Honestly, I've been doing a lot more work now uh, recently with DJs live on stage. Where it's, I, I work with a company out here in uh, Southern California called. Uh, oh, I better get this right. Thinking, thinking, thinking. This is going to get edited out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got it. A company called Elevated Pulse Music. Uh, they're in Orange County, and they specialize mostly in DJs for corporate events and weddings, mm-hmm. but they're branching out now into getting more experimental with live music, and that mm-hmm. usually means including, we just did a great video shoot for the company that's a, a live DJ with uh, saxophone and percussionist who brought all of his different instruments, and we're playing live, and it's it feels like a jazz show to me. It just doesn't sound like a jazz show. And and our you know it's a different vibe. The room is you know it's, we're trying to party and get people up. Yeah. But like, I've been doing a lot more of that, and I wanna I wanna continue doing more of that. And for a while, I was a little apprehensive about it because I didn't, you know, you don't know if you want to cross into that world. But I have a great time because they just asked me to put my horn together and and just like make shit up with the music, and that's I, that's what I want to do. That's like that's, that's awesome. so dope because I've never I've DJed with many drummers and I've never DJed with a saxophonist. But the last time I DJ with a drummer, it was crazy. I was DJing for this block party here at this um this like high end community. The like yeah. mayor was there and everything. It was it was dope. But uh the guy who was playing the drums, he was just like, yo, like just lay down a little, you know, like just lay down a little instrumental and I'll go off. And he just like kept going off. And it was crazy because we didn't practice it or anything. But you would think that no like the way we just both vibed off of each other and he was clearly he was like the one that was making it dope but he was he was just like give me something funky and i'm a i'm a drum out to it and he would drum out crazy like i feel right. like if we had a uh saxophone player that would have been dope too you know what i mean it's it's I think a dope it's really product cool to see when it's done well yeah and it looks cool it's it's got everything it's entertaining it's got that visual aspect to it it's got a vintage vibe to it because I'm usually playing my, you know, my horns are from like, I think I got one behind me right now. That one on the uh, chair there, you know, they're from, they're from like the fifties and sixties. So it just like automatically brings it to a different era just by seeing that horn. Mm -hmm. And then it brings it to a different era, seeing a drummer chopping out. And I love it, dude. It's collaboration and it's improvisation. I mean, even now they have those like MIDI controlled like clarinets and saxophones you can do so you can literally oh yeah they got the aerophone and, like, and the iwi yeah. the yeah those man you, there's, there's a lot and then you, you got a lot of sax players uh investing in looper pedals and effects pedals and yeah i gotta get on that game i want to do that i'm i'm totally fine with us actually 
diverting away from travel at this point because I think it's also like sad that we can't really do it at this point. But yeah, um, I do want to break into our quarantine edition activity. Uh, so Jason, oh my goodness. right now, right now, if you could be anywhere at a restaurant, what restaurant would it be to eat dinner? Where would you be right now? Ooh, give us the name Ooh. of the restaurant. Oh, and it's I could literally walk to it right now. Yep. What's the name uh, of it? Because I live in a, a town called Cypress, California. Mm-hmm. Right down the street from me is a a family owned Mexican restaurant called El Zarape. Ooh. How do you spell that? Oh, Z A R A P E. El Zarape. You said Cypress. That spot is dope, dude. All right. And they know so, they know me when I walk in. They know me. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Josh, you got the name? You Googled it? Yeah, I got it. I got it. All right, that. Jason, I need you to Google that. Go to their website, open up the dinner menu, and we are going to order food off a menu together. <laughs> all right. This is our quarantine activity because if there's anything in the world that I miss, it's ordering food off ordering a menu at a restaurant. Off of a menu. <laughs> So, oh my God! I've never right. done feel, this. Before. Feel free to play along, everyone. So El Zarape, oh. Z A R A P E, El Zarape um, Mexican so restaurant. So here's okay. a question: Do you are you a dessert first, and then you make your way backwards from the dessert you choose? Bro, 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 bro. Okay, when that? you go to a Mexican restaurant, there's no such thing as dessert. It's all about the chips and salsa and margaritas before you eat. Wow, it's right. pre gaming. All right, so help us help, nav- navigate <laughs> us navigate us through this menu. Then I right, see. So he's, so he's walking in. Hola. <laughs> Hola, Senor Jason. Welcome to El Zarape. Oh, dude. Mexican okay. <laughs> First of all, El Zarape, you, when you walk in, there's already a line of people. There's like everybody's waiting outside all right. to get a seat. Um, I don't want to simulate waiting in line right now. So let's assume okay. that we're so good of friends with the GM that they just have a they seat for seat us. You. <laughs> I'm just saying, bro, bro. Like if I'm waiting outside for my spot, they already bring me the, the Cadillac margarita. They right. already bring it to me when I'm waiting. Oh, so like, it's like that. <laughs> So for the all of our listeners, margarita. all of our listeners, you're on the you're on the Zarape website. We're gonna order together right now. So make sure you know okay. what you want. So I sit down <laughs> at the table. I've already got my my margarita in my hand. We've all got one. Um, all right, we all got a Cadillac. We we sit down, yep. and then they bring out the chips and salsa, and it's dope because the chips are made there and the salsa is made there. Okay, automatically I'm ordering some. Do they do guac like a? Uh, oh hell like yeah, they got guac. guac. Okay, yeah. yeah, we need we need we need some guac. Bring that that's nine there. that's 9.95 that's a lot of money i know bro you don't right you're not counting money when you go to el zarape <laughs> this is not quarantine time we're good we all got jobs yeah we're, we're good. you just finished right, a great right, gig right. you're blowing some cash you got your cadillac margaritas <laughs> <laughs> i right. yeah i usually go for uh it depends on how i'm feeling if i want to be a fat ass i'll get like uh you know, uh, carnitas or something. How do we feel about the queso fundido, everyone? Bro, I don't even know queso, what that is. I don't even see that. The queso fundido. I don't fuck with queso. You don't? Right. Not that if it's all... like, not if it's like that fake cheese sauce. Oh. I mean, if it's at your restaurant, it's probably good. It's That's probably real queso. Yeah. First of all, can we just talk about how the queso at uh, Chipotle is disgusting? And I love Chipotle. Makes me so. Mad. I love Chipotle, but yeah, I, I'm right. I'm uh, right there with you. Cudoba, uh, like, Cudoba or death. Yeah, Cudoba's queso is bomb. Give me. Uh, Qdoba do you guys like or uh, give me nothing? You guys fuck around with mole? Yeah, I yo, I love mole. If it's on the menu, okay, I'm ordering it. 
then this is that's the thing. It's like mole. I've heard is kind of like that make or break. If you Dude, like our it, waiter, it's our waiter be would be our waiter would be so mad at us if we did this in the restaurant. He would just he or she would just walk away like. All right. I'll be back. Well, the, um, the mole is legit. The mole is good. I being being green and being the arrogant sob that I am, <laughs> I would one hundred percent order the steak fajitas because that attention is what I want. I want the sizzling. You want that, you you want want that sizzle as it comes out. To you want to be that asshole. Yeah. They're coming out with the, the, the plate and everybody's looking. And then and like I'll, they bump doing, into someone I'll and it kind of burns their so- shoulder. <laughs> right. He's and like, sit it down and it, you're smiling. It into- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm, I'm ordering the camarones a la diabla just because oh, I like. Dude. That's, that, that's that like spicy shrimp. Yes. Yeah. good to me. But I do I'm, see they have a. definitely having a bite of your mole though. I see yeah. they have a hamburger at the on the kids menu. I I feel like the hamburger on the kids menu would be also pretty <sighs> if you good. Get a, if you order yeah. a hamburger, oh, I'm I'm leaving. Yeah, we're, le- we're gonna find our own table, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, is there anything else you'd recommend? What about desserts? We gotta talk desserts. We can't just not. I don't talk even desserts. see desserts on this menu. That's yes. what I'm talking about, dude. They ain't got no fucking desserts. <laughs> right, fair point. It's, fair point. It's uh, margaritas for dessert. We order another yeah. margarita before another, we leave. Another round, <laughs> couple tequila uh, shots. Mm. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for playing along in our quarantine edition uh, segment called "Order Off a Menu." Um, now I'm just hungry though. I haven't. Yeah, I, was say, I, know, I gotta go. Like I gotta go eat. It's, <laughs> it's just so. It's just so sad how like the simplest thing of ordering at a menu is no longer allowed. You just can't. There's sit down literally. And order off a menu. You might hear it on this podcast. This the saliva that has. <laughs> in my mouth right, right. now as oh, we go man. through this menu um, thank you the last the last segment we have for this interview rapid fire. again thank you for being here jason we have a rapid fire segment where we ask Let's you questions it. and you just give us answers okay here pew, we go pew, pew. uh josh first, you want to start here we go first question back back to the food okay you're about to board a flight your first flight back from quarantine what's the fir- what's the snack and drink you're gonna get right before you board your flight Oof, a classic Coca-Cola and a thing of pretzels. Super simple. Sweet okay. and sour. Sweet right. and salty. Right Here we go. Number two. What is your biggest music pet peeve and your biggest travel pet peeve? Uh, I My biggest pet peeve with music is musicians that are only focused on the notes that they're playing. The uh, the lines that they're playing and not the the nuance. How it sounds. Their phrasing, their soul, all that oh, stuff. They need to. They need to improvise. Call I them out. To call it Ooh. academic playing. But. Sell, mm-hmm. Give us a specific first and last name that we can we can look up <laughs> and bully. First name <laughs> okay. uh, Hell. Second name No. <laughs> <laughs> right, Travel pet peeve. What was it? Travel pet. Your yeah, your travel pet peeve. Of other people or myself. Anything. What what irritates you when you're traveling? Um, oh shit. The worst thing was I, I bought a thing of cologne and they took it from me because it was <laughs> over the like four ounces. What the fuck's that about? Wait, like you bought it in the airport and then they took it from you? Yeah. Or something? yeah. Come on now. Dude, or the, the worst has got to be, dude, the worst is, you know, that you bring it up is I, I'm, I'm coming on a, an airplane. I will definitely have a saxophone with me, and there's no way in hell that you're going to claw that thing away from me and put it in the check baggage. I'm bringing that motherfucker on the airplane. That's my girlfriend. Fair wow. Enough. You heard it here first, Seriously. 
Yeah. I had to I had to check a check my controller. I bought like a controller and I bought this big case just to make sure it could make it all the way to Michigan. And then I bought like a strap so that right. it, and it made it there fine. It was cool. You're yeah, yeah your your sax will be okay. But no, nah, I'm just <laughs> I love I don't, love don't my sax man. Plane. I'm so That's, worried about them. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Um all right. Well no, so number three, what is something that you wished was at an airport that is not? Why do they all got to be at the airport? I hate the airport. Or or in an airplane? Because this this is the travel. This this is all your travel questions. This is our oh. travel component. We have to at least get thirty percent of this episode to be about travel. What do I wish they had more at the airport? Or if yeah. that they don't have at all? Oh damn! Well, there's definitely not enough live music at airports. I think that's a fun way to welcome people to your your city, or even more so your country if they're coming from out of country. Right Seattle away. has Seattle has live music. They yeah, have they do. Guitar players, I've been there, and they definitely do. Yeah, yep. I was gonna Minneapolis say, I does. Nashville, Portland you ever does. Go to Nashville, there's always guitarists. As soon as you, I say always, like I've been there a bunch of times. But there's as soon as you land, guitarists at like every third restaurant. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that shit is super dope. I actually, that's dope. Actually, when I was in Hawaii too, there was like a ukulele player. When I landed in Maui, I thought that was like pretty dope too you know there's like right. seven different airports in la right the only one that i've ever played at like had a gig at was long beach airport that sure. is the best airport in love the world, long hey, beach airport. shout out yes. shout out jet blue shout out jet blue yeah. please sponsor Dude, us shout out please sponsor LGB us jet blue yo if i get a gig in, in vegas i don't like i know i can drive there but it's way more fun to go to long beach airport hit a jet blue and take it to vegas it's there like you go 49 bucks Again, shout out JetBlue, please, please sponsor or, us. Or Southwest, um, actually, Southwest is a lot cheaper. Or is yeah, like I like Southwest like, too. Yeah. Dude, that's well, right. Petey, you're a, you're a Midwest boy. You know all about Southwest. That's a great airline. I'm a I'm a JetBlue and Alaska guy now. <laughs> this, the West Coast has got me. Um, I'll ask you later. Well, I mean, because JetBlue, I can like so, I recently solidified a monthly residency in Boston DJing, and so. The, the the agenda was to just catch a red eye on like a Thursday night, get in Friday, DJ Friday, Saturday, fly back Sunday morning. JetBlue, you can run that for like 75 bucks one way. Okay. It's so cheap nice. to go across the country. Um, sorry, last thing. Speaking of flights and continuing this travel extravaganza, what's the closest you've ever come to for missing a flight or have you ever missed a flight? Oh, dude. Oh man, you're freaking me out because I don't want to get bad luck now. I have never <laughs> missed a flight. I have not missed a flight. All of all three of us have to knock on wood right now. Knock nope. On wood. I I will not. You are doomed, bro. I've knocked. You are doomed. I've gotten really close, and it's usually right, on up, connecting flights. All right, I knocked on. Thank the wood. you. You're welcome. Usually on you're connecting welcome. flights, here, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, we've all been there where you got the connecting flight, and you're just like sprinting yep. to it hey that's yep. low-key a good reason why you need to have your sacks though because you know you know if you have those close exactly flights your luggage not going to make it so your sack uh -huh. is going to be stuck and you're going to be wherever you need oh to dude i've it, so. i have definitely had gigs where my luggage still was waiting yeah and i had to literally get off the plane with my with my suit because i'll carry my sacks on and if the gig is that day i have my suit or my tux in the bag with me yep mm -hmm. so just yep. in case shit shit hits the fan i got my suit and my horn <laughs> I'm Man. ready to go. Jason Fabus, thank you so much for this interview. Uh, it was a long one, but I think it was important to make sure that we covered the extent of your life. I'm sure we could go yeah. on for hours, but I don't want to. 
I know um, us team blue people. We have a we have a tendency to ramble on, what, don't we? <laughs> uh, typically, what we do if we have a DJ on or anybody is they will provide a mix for us. We are lucky in the sense that Jason Favis is a composer and a producer himself, and so what we are going to feature next are a collection of his music. Um, whether it's from jazz albums, whether it's from his electronic endeavors, whatever the case is, uh, there's a collection of his music. Is there anything you want to say to the people, Jason? Pre- preview the the music selections you're going to be providing and then yeah, make sure I, people can get a hold of you as well, like your social media handles. Yeah, uh, Instagram is at Jason Fabus. That's J-A-S-O-N-F-A-B-U-S. And I'm sure you'll see it on the podcast. Um same, Jason Fabus on Spotify. And recently I've been putting a lot of music on there and just tried to put it all on the same channel. For a while I was thinking I should split it all up and put like different types of genres of music on different channels. But uh, I'm, I'm just kind of coming to the terms with I'm a saxophone player that plays a whole bunch of different music and I'm going to put it on my, my Spotify. So you can find me on there uh, and Apple Music and all the other platforms. Jason Fabus. There he is. Thank you, sir. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you, guys. You. Pleasure. Good to meet you, Josh. And always good to see you, Petey. We go yeah. way hey, back, dude. Great to meet you, Jason. Yeah, I'll see you <laughs> in L.A. or Vegas one of these days. So Bro, we'll go, seriously. We'll go eat at a El Zarape. You know it, man. Come, yeah. The first margarita's on me. <laughs> All right. Following this interview is an exclusive collection of Jason Favis's music, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Be safe. Bye. Let's get started. Drive safe.
everybody. Listen to everybody. Listen to everybody. Listen to listen to listen to everybody. Jumping is scary. When you first jump, your parachute is not going to open right away. I would love to tell you that it would. That when you quit your job, you'll just have a shop full of clients. It ain't gonna happen. The chute don't ever open right away. You gonna get some skin tore off you on them rocks. At times, it's gonna feel like it's an uncontrollable tumble. But let me tell you this: if you don't ever jump, your parachute will never open. You will never soar. Don't jump, and you'll never get cut up. But if you do not jump, you will never soar.
Harvest trees is in our lap, boy We can touch the skyline Lake Shore Drive, we're getting high, boy Clear blue skies and butterflies With you I see sunshine, boy Only clouds are in our mouths Breathe it all in and don't let it never been before And I'ma open your mind to things you didn't know Trying to spread my ass cheeks for no cameras I'd rather pack it up and move to Canada <laughs> Turn the plane to absurd, yeah, that's what I do best In high school, I might have cheated on like one of few tests Gave my homework to Zeke, man in peace, may he rest Wish I could do it five times over 
Nine times out of 99, I'm sober. Otherwise, I'm airborne over Manitoba. Huh. Always keep my options open when I'm looking for closure. You ain't really from Chicago, bitch. I know you a poser. And authentic shit, it comes with an odor. That's why I Euro step the aroma and drop in the floater. Studied the game so long, homie, the blows a diploma. She came to me for words of advice. And you know what I told her? I told her, know your vision. Know what's for you and then know what isn't. Know when's a good time to talk and when to listen. Know that nothing's given, so just take it with a grain of salt. And lastly, if they ain't got gas money, baby, they can walk. All that freedom shit is mainly talk. I never pay it no mind. I'm going full mind. Stay protected like I'm standing back behind the old line and hit the weights till I start looking like I'm Gohan. <laughs> The way I'm doing what I'm doing, they don't think I'm human. Ain't seen my ego in three months, that's just the way I'm shrooming. They trying to suck out every dollar till this thing is ruined. But I think I feel something brewing. Time don't stop for me, don't stop for you. So we got to do what we got to do. We got to do. I said the clock don't stop for me. Won't stop for you. So we got to do. We got to do. Why not break the rules? <laughs> Thank you.